All right, so the purpose of today's message is how do we rest in God's peace? And it sounds, a lot of times we give lip service to these different Christian concepts and, you know, about shalom and have the peace of God and, and labor to rest and all these different things. But I wanted to delve into God's word and try to plant some seeds in the hearts of the people who would hear, myself included, on really what does that look like, what does it take, and what does it encompass? So one of our main topics that we're going to talk about today is that God's purpose for you is that you would have this peace and this comfort, and it's true. And a lot of times when we hear that, it makes it sound, to a person who doesn't understand what the Word of God really has to say, it makes it sound like it's kind of idealistic, and that um, basically it's like something you ask for, but you don't really believe that you're going to have peace because the moment you start to have peace, this thing's going to happen, that thing's going to happen. And I just wanted to illustrate for you from the Word of God that there's a purpose to those trials and that those different times and those things that come against you, those are not an illustration that God is not with you because many times in the midst of it, you can feel like you don't have the peace or the comfort that God's promising you, but if, you're, if your anchor is the word, you can know in your heart and you can know in your spirit that that's the truth and that God will never leave you nor forsake you as his word promises. So we're going to start off today in James chapter 1 verses 2 through 6. Um, I'm using the English Standard Version uh, once again, and I'm just going to go ahead and read because I have a lot of scriptures to get through today. If anybody wants this PowerPoint emailed to them or printed out, we can hook that up and get that to you so that you can have all these references. Otherwise, feel free to take notes. But I've provided the scriptures for you so that we can get through them in a timely manner. So it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, uh, steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be Perfect, incomplete, lacking in nothing. So let's just stop there for a second. So he's talking here about when you meet trials of various kinds. Now a lot of times when we read our words, one of the biggest problems that we have is we separate ourselves from it. So when we read about this passage right here, we don't identify, we don't make it personal, we don't make it real. And I know that every person in this room, because I'm involved in all of your lives and you're all involved in mine, we're family, um, I know that we all have had trials uh, continually this week, last week, the week before, and I'm pretty sure that those trials are not going to stop anytime soon. But the purpose is, is that there's a, an outcome for the trial. For one thing, think of all the things in your life that at the time seemed as if they were completely unsurmountable and that there was no way that you could make it through and you didn't know how you'd ever live through it, you didn't know how you'd ever meet that financial need that you had. You didn't know how you would ever get that job that you'd been dreaming of or start that business that God had given you a vision for. And in the moment, because we try to apply our timeline to God, we can get lost and we can allow ourselves to begin to drift. And when we start to drift, we start to feel forsaken. And one of the things that I'd like to pose to you is if you feel forsaken and if you feel like God is not with you, then that's something that's going on inside of your heart and your spirit because God is not a man that he would lie. He is true to his word, and his word says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. One of the things that I think about often when I think about this verse is I think about uh, the story of Joseph. 
and I'm pretty sure everybody here remembers the story of Joseph, but if you would have talked to Joseph when he was beaten by his brothers and thrown into a hole, and then sold into the slave trade, and then sold into this Egyptian home, taken away from his family, take, imagine just being taken away from everything that you know, that you love, all your comfort, all, this, all the familiarity that you have around you, Imagine if somebody just came to you right here at this moment, took you, took you into a foreign land, and sold you into slavery. But the Bible says that God was with him. Now, during that time, when you read the story of Joseph, he never lost his faith. He always operated as if he knew that God was with him. And the people who would look at him would see that God was with him by the way that they could just tell something that was different about his spirit. Because in the lowest of his lowest points, there's numerous references where it says, and they saw that God was with him. So had he not gone through this time or this trial, being perfected so that he would be lacking in nothing, then how would he have been there when the famine came? How would he have been there to be the savior, not only of the representation of the Gentile world, which was Egypt in that story, but also for his people, Jacob? And Jacob was known as Israel, so the Israelites. And he was the savior for these people. But he never could have gotten to that place had he not endured the trials first. So I think the lesson to be learned there is that when we go through these things, there's a purpose to them. And it's not God putting you through a test. It's not God punishing you because you didn't pray enough or you didn't read your word enough. There's a purpose to it. And if we can just trust in him and stand upon his promises and his word, then we'll make it through those trials. And when it does, it will have its full effect and that it will make perfect and complete so that we will be lacking in nothing. But then it goes on uh, in verse 5 and it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave on the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So we've talked before and we've taught, uh, taught before on the concept of wisdom and what does it entail, but I wanted to get a little bit deeper into it this time because I find that every time you go through and you get through one layer, you expose another one and another one. And so the verses that we're going to talk about today that talk about peace and wisdom and all the different promises that they offer are ones that we've not delved into before. And I'm pretty sure that I could do a whole nother message and a whole nother message and I could probably if I wanted to say I'm going to take my whole life and dedicate it to preaching on the power of the wisdom of God and so but he says if you ask it will be given now this isn't the only place that we see this we've been focusing a lot lately on the words and how your words are vessels and um, in Luke 11 uh, verse 9 through 10 it says, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. Everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So yes, we believe that we are saved completely and totally by the grace of God. And that there is nothing that we could do to earn or to produce a better result. There's nothing that we could ever contribute to better our situation, our standing with God. That's already been done for us because when Jesus was on the cross,
God took the punishment for each and every one of our sins, past, present, and future, and laid it and punished it upon his son so that we would have that redemption and so that we could be that righteousness. So a lot of people will say, well, the problem with that message is that where's your role in it? And I've heard people actually say, so your role is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, which is in the Bible but taken out of context, as you will know if you study that out. So what is our role in it? Our role in it is quite simply to go into the different situations that we're doing in our daily basis and in our daily walk and to study God's word and to seek his grace. But we have to seek. So if you look at that, it says, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open. So one of our foundational verses for our beliefs is so many times Christians will say, well, I believed God for this, and I believed God for that, and he didn't show up, so he, he wasn't there for me, or he was punishing me. But one of our foundational verses is and always will be, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And when you seek the kingdom of God, then these things will be added unto you. How many people are doing no seeking? We exposed our own weaknesses last week when we asked a simple question, and the question was, if you look back in your last week, two weeks, however long which period of time, um, how much have you delved into God's word? How much, have you, how much have you really prayed? How much have you studied? How much have you done these different things? Now, some of us probably have been doing more of that because we have. when you go through a trial, the one thing about a trial is if you think about it, that's one of the things that will draw you closest to God quickest. So when you go through a hardship, a death in the family, or a loss, or a financial predicament that you don't see any answer to, when you go through that, you definitely will draw closer to God because you are so broken in yourself and you know that you don't have the power or the ability to do what you need to do in that situation. So that's another purpose to going through these struggles and these, and these and this uh, conflicts that we have to go through in our daily life. You know, remember Jesus when he was talking about building your, your, building your home on a firm foundation? He said, don't build it on sand, build it on stone so that when the rains come and when the waters rise that you would have a full assurance that you would be safe so he doesn't say hey come be a christian and once you be a christian god's going to make sure you never have any uh bad things that happen to you to the contrary that's the persecution that we face for following the lord but the end point is as we discovered when we looked at spiritual warfare is it's not about us it's not about us gaining or 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 further in ourself in any way it's about God winning those battles for us so here we say what is our role our role is to ask and here we see two different places Matthew chapter 7 as well verse 7 again and anytime you see something repeated in the word you know that you know God didn't need to repeat that word he said it once and for those who are diligent you can find a verse where it only says it once and you can stand firm upon that promise because that is true but in the places where he gives you multiple places where he says this over and over to you, you can really take him to the bank on it and know that it's true. So again, he says, ask and you will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. So if you go from there, we're going to go over to uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. This is where we start to understand some of the mechanism that's in play. Because in order for us to access God in his entirety... There are thir certain things that he requires of us, and there are certain things that he will uh, 
direct us towards so that we can achieve the outcome that he has for us. Now, it's not about your works. And when I say requires of us, I'm not saying that if you don't do these things, he's not going to bless you because tell me, those of you who are sitting here, how many times have you been in a station or a season of your life where you've just not been reading your word? You've not been praying. Maybe you've let yourself slide to the point where you no longer are really holding the truth to that high of a standard. Whatever the thing is, whatever the negative thing is. And how many of us can say that in that season, God still blessed us? I know I've had numerous times in my life where I've been not being a good little boy, quote unquote. And I've been amazed in the midst of it, God will just provide a blessing that I so did not deserve. And that's because it's never about us. It's never about what we deserve. If it was what we deserved, then we would be paying the own price for our own sins. But God loved us so much that he sent his son so that he would be able to uh, pay that price for us so that we didn't have to pay that price. So it's never about what we deserve. But one of the mechanisms is, is this, it's always been intriguing to me, is this wisdom. This concept of wisdom. Now, wisdom isn't knowledge. You can, there are lots, you ever see those people where somebody says, the thing about Joe is he's a really smart guy, but he doesn't have any common sense. And sometimes you'll see people who are just totally gifted in one area, but when it comes to life, when it comes to living, when it comes to putting the pieces of the puzzle together, they just don't seem to have the ability. Well, wisdom is, uh, knowledge is our human realm idea of the concept, like we talked about before with fairness and justice, how those two concepts are kind of intertwined but completely separate separate wisdom is god's knowledge and it's god's way and so the more wisdom you have we're going to look at what does that produce in a person's life so in proverbs chapter 3 it says blessed is the one who finds wisdom so how are you going to get it you got to find it how do you find it when you need to find something you seek it right if you can't find your car keys and you have a, a poor appointment that you need to get to, then you're going to seek diligently for your car keys. Well, if we had that type of urgency to draw close to our Lord, we would seek and we would find wisdom. And then it says, and the one who gets understanding. So wisdom and understanding we see go hand in hand. For the game from her is better than the gain from silver, and the profit is better than that from gold. She is more precious than jewels, and, and nothing you desire can compare with her. So this isn't saying to you some big spiritual concept of, you know, if you're poor as the day is long and you don't have enough food for your kids, don't worry. If you just pray to God for wisdom and you get that wisdom, then everything's going to be all right because you'll have the wisdom of God. It's not some secret supernatural food that's going to supply your needs. What it is, is it's the mechanism in which God can bless you. And it is his desire, and I will argue with anybody, scripture for scripture, if they try to tell you that it is not, the, a lot of people today are teaching that it's God's desire to punish you. It's God's desire to hurt you. It's God's desire to hold you accountable for your sin. Well, I will tell you, Paul, when you read the New Testament, he spoke a very specific word about what God had to say. And he said, if anybody comes to you and they teach you anything other than these words that we're giving you, then turn away from them. Get as far away from them as possible. So we're not about attacking any other ministry or any other call, but I will tell you this. 
the word that you're teaching and preaching had better line up with the word of God. If not, it's a counterfeit, and it will easily God will easily expose that counterfeit because he hates anything that's not true. So the truth is, whether you are at a place in your walk right now where you believe it or you understand it yet, when you study the scriptures, you will clearly find that God's will is to bless you. So here we're talking about blessed is the one who finds wisdom. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you can desire can compare to her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left are riches and honor. So when you read the Bible, no offense to anybody who is left-handed, but when you read the Bible, the right hand is always an illustration of the hand of power. When Jesus ascended to heaven, where did he go? He didn't go to the left hand of God. He went to the right. He sat at the right hand of God. So it's, a, it's an illustration and it's a word picture that illustrates the powerfulness of wisdom. And so on the right hand is long life. In the left hand, riches and honor. Now, in heaven, I don't know about your belief system, but in my belief system, if we're talking and there are people who will say, well, that's a spiritual type of a thing that they're talking about there. Well, I'm pretty sure in heaven there's going to be no purpose for riches. I'm pretty sure in heaven there's not going to be this guy who makes $40,000 a year and this one who makes a million. We're all going to be equal. So where would you need riches? And in heaven, there's only one, one entity that's going to be receiving honor. The Bible says that we will be praising continually and glorifying God. It's not going to be about our honor. So this verse is explicitly talking about when you have access and when you have seeked and when you have or sought rather and you have found wisdom, this is talking about here on earth because God is concerned about your life here on earth and he is concerned about your problems here on earth and he is concerned with every little thing that is a hindrance in your life. So her ways are pleasantness and all of her paths are peace. So when we started off, we said we were going to talk about how to get the peace of God. Do you think it's possible to have the peace of God without having an understanding and a wisdom of God? But again, condition your mind when you hear these things. The flesh is taking the words that are coming into your ears right now and telling you that wisdom is your understanding. It's your intellect. It's your knowledge. But what, what he's talking about here is he is talking about a spiritual tool of wisdom that produces physical results. So our purpose is not God make me wise so that I can have a new car or a new house or a new company or whatever. The purpose is, is God draw me close to you. And as I draw close to you as my primary concern, I thank you that your spirit that lives inside of me will manifest your wisdom. And then because of that being manifested, all sickness will be driven out from my body. All lack will be driven out from my life. All attacks that the enemy throws at me, although they may seem scary at the moment, will be disarmed and futile. I thank you for that. And that's the word we need to be proclaiming. That's what we need to be speaking not only to God. He knows it already. But when you speak it to God, you reaffirm and grow your faith. And as you reaffirm and grow your faith, those words are going right back into your ears. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So this is another area where we can delve deeper and deeper into his purposes for us. Now, in Proverbs chapter 4, he says, get wisdom, get insight. So again, it doesn't say wait for wisdom and insight to land upon you. It says get it. So I say, damn, will you get me a cup of coffee? Sure. You're probably going to have to get up and go to get me a cup of coffee, right? So what's our get up and go? 
It's making sure you don't break the Ten Commandments. And it's making sure you repent for every single sin that you do. Well, first of all, that's impossible. Because a lot of us sin every day. And they're, they're in our minds what we call little sins. So we don't even think to repent. No, it's not doing that. It's drawing close to God. And when you draw close to God, it, his word will produce the fruit on the land that it was set forth to produce. That's his promise, and it's always true. It says, do not forget and do not turn away the words of my mouth. What have we been teaching about lately so much is that words are vessels. Words are powerful. And still, within our circle, I'm hearing people who are saying things that are contrary to the word of God. And, you know, we have to really, really be conscious of that and really, really careful of that because that is a powerful tool that God has given us. He says, I lay before you life and death. Choose life. So we can choose our words. You can choose. There's a lot of things in life that are going to happen to you that you have no control over and you can't choose. But you can choose your words and you can choose your attitude. And when you choose those two things together, you will see a fruit and a flourishing that you've never seen before. And it says, do not forsake her. Again, talking about the her here is wisdom. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. So you see, when we talked about spiritual warfare, and we talked about how so many Christians are looking at spiritual warfare as if it's their job to go out and, oh, so-and-so is in the hospital, so let's start a prayer chain. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But the secret to spiritual warfare is understanding that if you are in aligned with God's heart, if your heart is after God's heart, and if your spirit is after God's spirit, you can sit back and rest in the midst of those trials. There's nothing more comforting than having a trial that you can see coming at you and knowing that you're going to be okay. And that's what the wisdom of God will do for you. It says right here, she, you love her, do not forsake her. So what is forsake? Turn away from do not turn away from the wisdom of God, which is God's word, and she will, and if you love her, she will guard you and she will keep you. In the beginning of wisdom, it is to get the wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. So you get the wisdom, and the wisdom then positions you. So you got a particular challenge in your life. Maybe, maybe somebody listening to this has a challenge where they have a health issue that they're trying to battle. And they get on the internet and they start researching. And they say, well, here's one way I could attack that health issue. Here's another way. Here's another way. Which is the right way? And maybe multiple of those ways are the right way. Which, which, which way does God want me to do? And when you start to seek wisdom, God will position you in the right path for the right choices. You will see many times in your life when you are moving in accordance with God's will, you will see the analogy I use is it's like, I'm either coming up to doors that are locked that I'm having to struggle and kick in, or I'm coming up to doors that fly open and invite me. And I can always tell when I'm really, really in alliance with God's will, because a door after door will open, making my path easy. Imagine you're in a house, and every house and every wall in this house, it's huge, and every, every wall has six doors. And every time you come to six doors, you have to know which door you have to go through. And then all of a sudden, almost by magic, one of the doors opens up for you. You walk into that room and there's another wall with another six doors. What am I to do? What are your chances of guessing right? Pretty small. And a lot of us are walking through life trying to guess at life when God's already telling us I have the answers. So when you're in a line with God's will, these doors will happen, moves will happen, things will happen that will propel you and accelerate your path 
Because God knows that if he can get the blessings to you, you can get the blessings to the people who haven't received this word yet. And that's critical. That's one of the main things, to his glory and to his honor. And then it says, prize her highly and she will exalt you. So you don't have to exalt yourself. You don't have to tell people how good you are. You don't have to tell people how smart you are, how pretty or handsome you are, how nice you are. Because when you prize wisdom, it will she will exalt you yourself for her. And then if you will embrace her, what is an embrace? An embrace is just like, that's not saying, hey, give a handshake to her. Give her a high five. It says embrace. Wrap your arms around. One of my mentors once told me that in life there will be numerous times where you'll come to pivotal points where you'll be exposed to truths that you've never been exposed to before. And we know from the parable of the sower and the seed that once that seed is entered into your life, there's different ways we can approach it. We can grab hold of it and let it take hold on that fertile soil or we can allow the weeds to choke it out and we can go a whole message into all the different meanings behind those different things. But what he said is when you come against truth in your life and it comes to you, wrap your arms around it and hold on for dear life. How many times has somebody got so excited about a revelation? They say, God has given me a vision to do this thing. And then the slightest little trouble comes against them. And if the trouble comes against them, what do they do? They turn away. They didn't wrap their arms around that. Now, what's going to give you the ability or the knowledge to be able to wrap your arms around the truth? Being able to discern the truth in the first place. And what's going to help you to discern the truth is the wisdom of God, which you will find every time you go with a prayerful heart and a prepared heart. And you've prepared the soil and you go gather seed to be planted. And that will produce a harvest. She will place on your head a graceful garland, not a working garland, not a yoke you know, when, in the Old Testament, when they talk about labor or work, they talk about putting a yoke upon you. Well, it doesn't say that it's going to put a yoke upon you. It's going to strap you down and make you be having to work and toil for the rest of your days like God promised Adam he would have to, to eat. It says, no, when you have this, when you have this uh, wisdom, you will have a graceful garland and it will bestow upon you a beautiful crown. You didn't work for any of that. The only thing you did was seek. And when you see, when you saw, you found, and the rest of it, God takes care of for you. So I just think that that can't be overst overstated. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 21, that the Lord our God, Jesus Christ, the, founder, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of knowledge of him. So here we see explicitly that wisdom is a spirit. It's not something that takes place in your intellect. It's something that takes place in your spirit. It's when your human spirit aligns with God's divine spirit, which he has provided the mechanism for, because it says knowledge of him. So when you have all these things clicking together, it will produce a result that is unbelievable. It will produce a peace and a rest that you've never experienced before. How many people who are here today are listening to this need that peace and need that rest and need that comfort well let me tell you brothers and sisters it's right there for you all you have to do is seek god and trust in him and he will provide every other step of the equation for you and that's just a, a pretty amazing thing and it goes on to say having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so once you get this revelation people will say god's given me a fresh revelation and you got to be careful because some people will come to you and say, God gave me a revelation that I'm to leave my wife and children 
so that I can go be with this other woman. Well, the thing about a revelation is it's in align with God's will. So if somebody comes and tells you that, that's a false spirit. But people will get true revelation still today, especially today. And God will put in their heart to open a business or to start a ministry or to whatever the case would be. And if you get that, that's a pretty amazing thing because it says the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Last time I studied my anatomy, there were no eyes in the heart. So again, are we talking, uh, are we talking straight, um, literal, or are we talking spiritual? These are the spiritual eyes. This is a spiritual heart, not the organ that pumps blood through your body, but the housing in the center for God's spirit within our physical body. That is what it's talking about in our spiritual uh, awareness there. That you may know what is the hope to which is you have been called. So when you're in a hard time and somebody's coming against you for your beliefs or for your Christianity or for your faith or whatever the case is, that doesn't sound very hopeful. But the whole purpose of this is that if you have all these other pieces of the puzzle in place properly, then you won't see those trials when they come as, oh my gosh, you know, one of the things I hear all the time is, if it's not one darn thing, it's another. First this, then that, then this. Well, those things could be preparing you for where you need to move to so that you can be the savior of an entire race of people like Joseph was. Or maybe just be the savior for the family, or maybe be the savior for yourself. You can't undo any of the things that have happened to you up until this point, because if you do, then you're not you anymore. And God made you, you, in his perfect, infinite wisdom. He orchestrated all the different things that have taken place in your life so that you could be positioned to be in this moment, in this place, with all your giftings and all your powers and all of your abilities that are really his giftings, powers, and abilities that he grants to you. And that's a pretty amazing thing. And if you can come at it that way, then you'll start looking at all the areas. Question yourself throughout this week and count try to train your heart to notice and to realize when you are negative about something when something happens or when your child does something or when your vehicle breaks down or whatever the situation may be try to notice how many times you jump to negativity and the, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth will speak and you'll hear, your, hear yourself speaking these words but because we're implanting and feeding and nourishing the spirit within you, you will now be able to recognize those things and you will be able to rebuke them in the name of Jesus. And that's going to give you power like you've never seen before. And it says, the, the hope to which has called you, what are the riches and the glorious inheritance in the saints? So that's pretty big stuff. If we go on a couple things here, this is verse 19 now. So we're Ephesians chapter 1, and we're on verse 19. And what is this, uh, and what is the immeasurable greatness of this power towards us who believe according to the working of this great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. So here we see another reference to that right hand being the right hand of power. So what is your wisdom? What this verse tells me when I connect the dots and when I let scripture uh, uh, interpret scripture is that your wisdom is that in wisdom's right hand is long life and I know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and here we see it again so that means that Jesus is your wisdom 
So now we see that he's not, it's not this thing that God has created. It's, it's this person who created all things and this Godhead who created all things, fully man and fully God. And that is your wisdom. Now you tell me which of your situations in life are you going to encounter, no matter how dire, no matter how scary, no matter how catastrophic, you tell me and check your faith on this, which of these situations is Jesus unable to conquer? Because if we believe what this word has to say, then we can rest. We can rest in the good times and we can rest in the hard times because we know that God has provided a way for us and that way is, the, is Jesus Christ who is seated in heavenly places at the right hand of God, giving us wisdom and discernment. Far above any rule or authority or power of dominion. So again, it doesn't matter what the situation is. Not only in this age, but the age to come. This, this age we live in will come to pass, and there will be an end to it. And when it does, we will be in a different age. And that age will be glorious. And the same ruler for us, in, or the same savior for us in this age, will be our same savior in that age. Except we won't need a savior because we'll be redeemed. But at that point, all the blessings and all the promises that the word has to say about who and what Jesus Christ did and was will be fully revealed to us and will never that's what produces as us an uh, inability to hurt an ability to cry an ability to have pain and i'm waiting for that day but in the meantime i'm not going to be like the groups of people out there who say well all we got to do is make it through armageddon if we can just get to heaven then we're going to be all right no if that's all it was then the moment you got saved god would call you right to heaven no it's like okay here I am, here I saved you, you are blessed and redeemed. I'm going to give you every resource, I'm going to give you every power, I'm going to give you every gift that you need so that you can go over there before this all wraps up and grab that one person and save their spirit so that their spirit doesn't have to suffer uh, separation from God for all eternity. And that's a pretty powerful thing. How many people will we look for and how many opportunities will we seize if we can just catch a hold of these concepts? Nobody can argue that the wisest person, the illustration and the picture of wisdom in the Bible is uh, Solomon. And Solomon, I thought this was interesting. This is in 1 Kings chapter 3. Um, so the Lord appeared to Solomon in Gibeon, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, in a dream. And he said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to him, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. Now, when you study David, there was a lot of things that he did that were not righteous. So even in the Old Testament, when you are trained and when you're looking through the prism of God's full entire word, you can see that the grace abounded because David lied, David killed, he did all kinds of different things. There were so many times that he pulled away from God and drew back to God, but that was the key. That's, God said, this is a man who's after my own heart. And the one thing that you'll learn about David when you study him completely is every time he pulled away from God, when something bad happened, or maybe because of that, or because of his actions from that, he would always run back to God. Every single time he would run back to God. And he would bow his knee and he'd say, Father, I'm sorry. And every single time, God would receive him back just like he promised in Luke in the parable of the, uh, 
uh, prodigal son. So he will not leave you nor forsake you. But he asked him, what shall I give you? And uh, he says, you, you have kept for him his great and steadfast love and have given him, uh, given him a son to sit on his throne this day, speaking of himself. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. So he's just ascending to the throne. Although I am but a little child, and I do not know how to come out or go in. So he's basically submitting to God in an act of humbleness. Now, a lot of people, just real quickly on this, a lot of people will throw Job in your face. And if you've never fully read the book of Job, and a lot of people say, oh, I've read that. And a lot of people have, but there's a lot of people who haven't. And what people know about Job is they know that God allowed him to lose everything that was ever given to him. What's that? He did. But at the end of the book, what people always leave out is when Job came to God with his little whiny fit, God let him go on and on, on and on, and then God said to him, where were you when I made the mountains? And so on and so forth. And he basically reprimanded Job for his arrogance and his pride. And Job said, you're right. I'm sorry. And wow, I really missed you on that. Please forgive me. And God said, forgiven. And by the way, here's everything you had plus more. That's the part they like to leave out. So he comes, uh, Solomon here comes to God and he just comes to him humbly and he says, I'm like a stupid little child. I don't even know what door to go in. If it were raining, I would stand outside in the rain and I would be like, what's this wet stuff hitting me? I mean, he's really effacing himself to God. And God said to him, because you have asked this and you have not asked for yourself, long life or riches, which we found is what wisdom provides, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, Right, behold, I now do according to your word. I give you a wise and discerning mind so that no one will be like you before and none will shall, shall rise like you after. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor. So here we see a direct correlation to first we learn what riches and uh, or what wisdom was encompassed. And here's where God's bestowing that blessing unto him. And he says, uh, no other king shall compare to you all your days. And if you will walk my way and keep my statutes and my commandments, like your father uh, David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Now, Solomon was not the longest living person in the Bible. And you would think that somebody who had that kind of wisdom would be able to make all the right decisions in all the right ways and claim that title, especially since God is offering it. But what you'll learn about Solomon when you study him out is he had a problem with the ladies. And he had uh, like a thousand different people under him, uh, women, wives, and other such things. And um, it says that as he aged, they turned his heart against God. So he lost some of that wisdom as he grew older. And he started lamenting about this and that, and there was a reason for that. So God gave him the choice, and he chose his own way, but that was after an entire lifetime of being just the most amazingly blessed person who's ever walked the planet. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So our, the disobedience that we're speaking of here is 
the disobedience, if you read uh, Hebrews, it's talking about how you can no longer put your faith in other sacrifices. Your faith has to be put in Jesus Christ because when he did what he did, he did away with the old system. So there's no, no longer that old system for you to go back to. You can't just say, well, I'm going to hold off that Jesus guy and I'm going to stick with the sacrifice thing because the veil was torn and the table was broken. There were to be no more sacrifices. But it says here, therefore, strive to enter that rest. And some, some translations say labor to rest. And I remember when I was first catching hold of this, probably about two or three years ago, I started having a dream and I had it three or four times where I was, it didn't make sense to me at the time, but in this dream, I would go from place to place. And when I would go, I had this little white chair that I would pick up and I would carry with me from one place to the next. And then I came to realize, I was like, God, this is weird. Like, it's not like a weird random dream. It's like you're trying to tell me something. And I was just studying about this labor to rest. And he said, have you ever found that odd that you would labor to rest? It's kind of an oxymoron. So what he revealed to me was in my dream, I was carrying that chair, that white chair around with me because I was laboring to rest. I was carrying that so that when I got to my destination, I could rest in peace. So that's just the way that it came across to me. But it says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all who, are labor and who, all who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I, so where is this rest that we're going to find in Matthew chapter 4? We're going to find that when we come to Jesus, because this is Jesus speaking here. These are red letters. I didn't put them on the screen, but they're, they're red letters. Come to me, Jesus, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The burden is not light because the burden is light. The burden is light because Jesus is carrying all the weight. So that's the revelation there is that he's not saying that, hey, it'll be easy. And as a matter of fact, in other scriptures, how do we coincide this scripture? People always say, well, you know, the thing about reading the Bible is I see all these contradictory things. So when somebody reads this, they would say, well, it talks in other parts about how as a Christian, you'll be dragged into the streets and you'll be pulled before councils and you will be, you know, persecuted and brother against brother and so on and so forth. So that's incongruent. No, it's not when you have the right spectrum to look through. What this is saying is, is that when you come to Jesus and you allow him, he will allow you to put his yoke upon you, but he will carry the yoke. And that's so encouraging and so many people need to hear that. And so many people aren't hearing that because you know what a lot of people are hearing today? They're hearing, yes, brothers and sisters, let me tell you the truth. You are saved by <laughs> grace, but just make sure that you do better. And while you're at it, you can try a bit harder. And if you really, really try hard and do good, you can get dominion over sin in your life. Well, like we talked about earlier, Paul would tell you to flee from a person who teaches that. You'll have other people that will say, when you talk about this grace stuff, you're giving people a license to sin. I used to get offended, but I don't get offended. I take that as a compliment because guess who else they told that to? They told that to Paul. In case you don't know, the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the uh, New Testament and probably had one of the most spiritual encounters with Jesus Christ. The other disciples were able to see him in the flesh. 
Paul wasn't able to see him in the flesh. His was a completely spiritual encounter. And he said, if anybody teaches you anything other than this. So if somebody's listening to this today or somebody here today is going to go into this week and there's going to be things where you're going to miss it. I promise you. Because we have a flesh component to ourselves and our flesh has uh, created warfare against God's spirit. But that's not who we are and that's not what we belong to. At the end of the day, just like it says in the book of Romans, it says, so what hope is, for, is there for me? Because I'm, Paul says, I'm a wretched sinner, basically. You can go and read that. If you read through chapter 6 through 8, he goes into detail on that. So he says, I'm a wretched sinner. I sin all the time. I sin every day. So much so that it's as if I'm not sinning, but my flesh that's doing it. But he says, you know what? That's not me. My spirit belongs to God through Jesus Christ. And then, therefore, there's no condemnation. If you're suffering under condemnation, if you're beating yourself up, if you have some standard that's been set for you that's impossible to achieve, you can't even begin to seek the deeper things of God, wisdom and, and, and all these different things, because you're too preoccupied with the fact that you're telling yourself, I'm not good enough. Well, if you weren't good enough, then Jesus wouldn't have died for you and wouldn't have paid the price for your sins, and you were never good enough. It wasn't about you being good enough. The fact that you were explicitly not good enough illustrates our God's grace for us, and that is what we're taking home. That's what's going to change this world bit by bit. That's what's going to heal the hearts who are listening to this today and the people who will read these words. It's going to heal the hearts today, tomorrow, and in a thousand years from now, just the same way it's been doing since it was first revealed to us. So rest in God's peace. And he says, And your servant... In the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered to count and multiply, give your, give your servant, therefore, an understanding, a mind, to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil for those who are able to govern uh, for your great people. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. So God was pleased. So I kind of broke that up. So just as a reminder to you, what that is, is we're continuing to talk about Solomon asking God in his dream and his vision about what did he want. So he said, I want, you know, I want to have basically wisdom in his words. And uh, this just kind of goes on and com completes that and talks about um, what Solomon was actually he, he wanted to be a wise ruler. He wanted to be a wise judge. And, and, and when you read judge in the, in the Old Testament, that think king. Don't think judge like what they are today. So he wanted to be a wise king. And it pleased, the God, it pleased God that when he asked Solomon, what do you want? Solomon didn't go to the natural and say, I want riches, and I want glory, and I want this, and I want that. He said, I am humble. I am lowly. I want to know your heart. And when I know your heart, that's all I need. And God said, because you've asked this, it pleased him. And he said, because you've asked this, I will give you all of these things. So in Luke chapter 11, it says, the queen of the south will rise up. 11 verse 31, it says, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom from Solomon. And behold, something greater, this is Jesus speaking, something greater than Solomon is here. So if you think, oh my goodness, if I could only be as smart as Solomon was, if I could only be as wise as he was, then I could have riches and honor and long life. Well, what Jesus is saying here, I'm greater, Jesus is saying, I'm greater than Solomon was, and you have me. Well, how many Christians are walking around today just with their head in the sand, 
not delving into their word, not seeking the kingdom. And what a sad thing it would be to go through a whole entire lifetime and suffer and toil and to finally get to the place where redemption comes and God says to you, well, you didn't have to go through all that. I provided a way for you out. So if anybody's going to take hold of that, the group of people sitting here is going to. So Jesus is greater than Solomon. Jesus lives inside of you, so you have every bit the potential to be more, have more wisdom than Solomon did. That's what the Word of God has to say. It's not my word. So we gave him wisdom and understanding, and this talks about um, one of the reasons I wanted to bring this verse here up is that he says, for he was in uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, and I'm going to look at verse 31 there. It says, for he was wiser than all the other men, wiser than Ethan and Heman and Kalkal and Dardral, the sons of Mahal. Now, if you don't know all those names, you can go study them individually and look them up. But what these people were is these were Old Testament worship leaders. So I think it's interesting. These were the ones who made songs and praises to God. So who did when, when God needed a comparison to tell Solomon how wise he was going to be, he went to the worship leaders. And I just thought that that was nice because um, it shows that when you worship God, then that's instricably tied. So when you sing a praise worship song, when you get into your prayer, when you take time away from your day to study his word, you're worshiping him. And that's pretty important part of stuff. Now, he ruled over the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and the border of Egypt, which was a huge kingdom. And all of the different kings in that area would bring tributes of, of different things to him all the days of his life. So he was definitely the most wealthy king that the Bible ever referenced. And uh, even today, um, in 1925, the Illinois uh, Architectural Society did a study from verses like this that talk about the provision. Look at this. The provision for one day was, and you don't need to know all these words. You'll get the idea. 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 pasture-fed uh, cattle, 100 sheep, deer, gazelles, roebucks, fatted fowl, for he had dominion over the region of the west of Euphrates, from Tipsa to Gaza, over all the kings of the west of the Euphrates, and he had peace on all sides around him. So he was completely peaceful. Nobody wanted to go against him. If you're another country, would you want to go against the wisest man on earth? Because let me tell you, if you study anything about military battles and strategies and all the different things that have happened, a wise general can make a big difference. They can take a fleet or, an, or a force that is much smaller, and they can win a battle through wisdom. Okay? But look at that for one day. I mean, just picture a hundred sheep. This is his table of his house and his people. That's what they went through in a day. And they went through and they looked at this Illinois uh, Ar uh, Architectural Society, not architectural, archaeological society, forgive me. And they equated that in, in common times for 1925 is when they did this. They found that the value of um, Solomon's worth would be $87 billion. Now, applied for uh, for... Um, inflation today that would be 200 billion dollars so the Bill Gates of the world would be envious of Solomon just the temple alone when it describes the the construction of the temple 
just the temple alone by today's standards would have cost $57 billion to build. It is said that he had so much wealth that he had trash heaps of silver. Now silver's always been a precious metal, but his kingdom was so wealthy that silver was in trash heaps outside. You can study that out and you'll see that that's true. So does God want us to have that same wisdom? Of course he does. And by the way, when you read something like that, it kind of puts into perspective people who will tell you, oh, God, Jesus came and died on the cross so that you could have your house payment made or so that you could have a nice car to drive. No, he came to pay the price for my sins. And that provided me an inheritance into a family and to a father who has immeasurable wealth and has nothing but a desire to bless me. And that's why I can have a nice home for my family. And that's why I can drive a decent vehicle for my children. But that's the kind of thing that we're up against. We're up against the enemy who has is, who is found a place in people's hearts where he has corrupted these concepts. And if you can't believe God for the basic things, you know, such as paying your rent or pay, having a decent car to drive, a safe car to get your family around, if you let other Christians convince you that believing for those things in some way wrong or wicked, then how on earth are you ever going to catch hold of the rest of this? It just doesn't make any sense. And does God want us to be wise? He sure does. He says, behold, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says, persecution will come. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, but be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You know, one thing about Christians is we are very trusting because we have in our heart something that makes us think that other people are like us. So Christians get taken advantage of a lot because if somebody comes to them and says, hey, I'm in need, will you help me? We're the first to do it. God's got that already uh, provision provided for, but he does say here to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, or other translations will say gentle as doves. So when you are wise, you can go in the midst of wolves. Now, what could these wolves be? Maybe, this wolves, maybe these wolves are authorities. Maybe these wolves are people who are going to be the people who are going to have the building blocks that are going to help you to make some forward you know, progress in some area of your life. Maybe it's a doctor. Maybe it's a lawyer. These are people in your life who stand in the way of you accomplishing the purposes that God has for you. But when you have wisdom, you can be gentle and you can be really... Uh, provided and taken care of because the wisdom will get you through that persecution. And here it talks about don't be anxious when you get drawn out in front of crowds and, you know, uh, before the Gentiles and the, and the judges. Don't be anxious on how to speak or what to say, for it will be given to you in that hour. And, but the spirit of your father, it will be not you who will speak, but the spirit of your father who is speaking through you. So as you start to develop River Sound, or as you start to develop a new social media program or company that you want to start, or as you're battling cancer that the doctors have told you that you have, or as any of these things come against us, you can know that when you open your mouth and when you're operating in wisdom, it's not about you. It's not about your ability to go out and get a flyer and learn about the 400 different venues. That's just the start. The next start is, is you're going to have to encounter people, and those people are going to be gatekeepers. And when you encounter those gatekeepers, those gatekeepers are not going to see you. They're not going to hear from you because operating out of wisdom through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, they're going to hear the Father speak. And doors are going to open, blessings are going to flow, 
to God's glory for his purposes so that you can meet the needs of not only you and your family, but for all those around you. And you can be a beacon of hope in this dark and desperate world that we live in. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to mention, uh, uh, not to mediate beforehand, so don't even think about it, because God will give you a mouth of wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And the Spirit of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, takes us back to our message last week, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the spirit, of, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Verse 4 says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide the equity of the meek of the earth. And he shall strike down the earth, the rod of his mouth, and the breath of his lips, and shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and the faithfulness shall be the belt of his loins. That's a verse we learned about last time. So it's just amazing to me. Here again we see and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding. So as we go forward into this next day and week and year and decade and millennium, I just pray that we would first seek, then find, and receive the blessing and receive the wisdom and receive the victory through all of the different things that come against us. Father, we thank you that you provide these answers. We thank you that you provide this wisdom in this way. And we thank you that you do all these things through your son, Jesus Christ, who has paid the price for us to have access to these wonderful and beautiful uh, spiritual concepts that you've provided for us. Creating us a new heart daily, rejuvenate us, renew us, wash us with your water, and providing us a way that we can just glorify your holy name through the name of your son, Jesus. We thank you and we praise you. May the seed produce the fruit that you have intended. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hold on, don't delete that. Oh, yeah.